Welcome, everyone. This is the Bodybuilding.com podcast. We're here buried deep in a snow bunker in Boise, Idaho. Uh, I'm Nick Coleus, an editor for Bodybuilding.com. My fellow editor, Heather Eastman, is here with me. And our guest is down in a warmer climate. He's Charles Staley. He's a great strength coach, Bodybuilding.com contributor, and the author of our monthly column, Ask the Ageist Lifter. On his own site, he also calls himself the oldest, skinniest guy you'll ever see deadlifting 500 pounds. <laughs> Um, but more recently, Charles is also the creator of a, bo- a program on Bodybuilding.com All Access called Total Body Strong, which is an eight-week full-body training program, three days a week. So you squat three days a week, pull, push, hip hinge three days a week. But that doesn't quite capture the extent of what's going on here. It's a really interesting and surprisingly complex program. So to talk out the details, we've asked Charles to come in and talk with us. So great to have you again on the podcast, Charles. Cool. Great to be here. And by the way, it's not really that warm here. It was like 37 this morning. 37? Now you're in you're in Scottsdale, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So that's okay, though. We'll, <laughs> it's like high desert. We'll suffer through it. Did you uh, see some people out there in parkas? I remember I, I, I was in Tucson last fall and there were, it was 65. There were people in gloves and no. hats in parkas. When, when, you live in, when, when you live in Phoenix, you suspend your, your, your ideas about reality and you will see people in, uh, I saw people this morning in, uh, you know, tank tops and flip flops. And uh, conversely, in August, when it's 120 degrees, you'll see people out there running and riding their bike at noontime. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so everybody's crazy down there is what you're saying. Okay. Pretty, pretty much is how I would chalk that up. Um, so now let's, let's talk about, uh, about this full body training program a little bit. It's one of the most unique programs we currently have on our bodybuilding all, bodybuilding.com all access platform. Not only because it's totally not a bro split at all, but it's also really adaptable movements, exercise order, everything is really flexible and pattern-based. I wanted you to tell me about how you how you came to the idea of pattern-based and adaptable programming, how, what your history with that is like. Yeah, well, you know, it, it surprises me. I never know when I kind of put, put material out into the world what's going to catch people's attention and what will not. And I sometimes uh, will do articles on topics that I find just completely fascinating and they, they, they just fall flat. And then other times I do things and I'm just basically explaining what I've always done and people find it interesting. So nonetheless, it's, it's kind of interesting. But in the Total Body Strong uh, article, that's based on my kind of take on programming, which I call primary pattern programming. And what I wanted to do, Nick, if I could, is just mm-hmm. before I go into the details of that, I just wanted to kind of share with you, you know, the central premise that dictates um, a lot of my decision-making as a coach. Sure. And so that's obviously also the premise behind uh, the total body strong idea. And, you know, also it's a concept that a lot of lifters fail to appreciate. So if you're listening, stay with me here because this opening concept, you know, if you understand and apply it, uh, from my experience, has the potential to totally transform your training. And I mean, I've got a number of women in their mid-50s who can do pull-ups and, you know, who can do... 300 foot farmer walks with with 100 pounds and you know hmm. and, and so the you know this really changes the whole game so so the premise the premise is this if if you are serious about fitness and you know more specific to this conversation serious about lifting weights you have a problem in my estimation and that problem is you want to have a lot of muscle but you also want to have minimal body fat and you know a lot of us want to be strong as well which is kind of a given and i know you know the women uh, there are limits to maybe how much muscle women want to carry, but I think we want to be conspicuously muscular, and in order to do that, you you have to be fairly lean as well. So, you know, most of us simply we want to look like we lift, mm-hmm. and I include myself in that category. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a valid goal when you lift. So, 
you know, and, and yes, of course, some people have different primary goals. Maybe they're rehabbing injuries or they want to develop athletic power or they're a bodybuilder and they want to have perfect symmetry. But, you know, most of us just want to look like we lift. So the reason that's a problem is because your body kind of operates from uh, homeostatic software, for lack of a better term, that's, you know, among other things, designed to protect you from famine. I mean, that's right. that's why we're that's why we're here to even that's why we have the luxury of even worrying about these things in the first place, because we survived all these eons. So, you know, all that muscle you want is metabolically expensive. So the more muscle you have, the more calories you need to consume, which makes you less likely to survive the famine. Hmm. And so, you know, and, and uh, along with that, when you have low body fat, that makes you even more unlikely to survive the famine. So one way to look at this whole thing is that Mother Nature's goals are kind of in complete opposition to yours. Right. And you can see that in the real world because you don't often see people who have a lot of muscle and very low body fat. And when you do see those people, it's pretty likely they're taking drugs. So this is just a very difficult thing to achieve. So now, and then obviously, you know, we're not likely to face a famine. In fact, we have exactly the opposite problem. But your your internal software is way behind, and it'll take another couple hundred thousand years for it to catch up. So in the meantime, from my point of view, you need to train in a way that's perceived as a threat to the body. And this is the central premise. In other words, your training has to be so hard that your body, the body has to get stronger and more muscular in order to survive those workouts in the future. So that means two things. One, obviously, you have to just train hard. And that's a very important subject. It's not the subject of this conversation, but you know, you have to train hard. And if you're not sure if you're on a good program or not, just stop worrying about it and just train hard, and that will fix most of your problems most of the time. However, some exercises simply are not very hard, no matter how hard you work them. So, um, in other words, the exercises you use have to be threatening. They have to provoke your body into changing itself in some very significant way. Mm -hmm. So, here's a few examples of things that just are not very hard, no matter how hard you work them. And that would include things like calf raises and planks, and tricep pushdowns, and wrist curls, and bent lateral raises, and reverse curls, and leg extensions. And, you know, also like exercises where the limiting factor is balance mm -hmm. are not particularly threatening because you can't load them. So, I mean, like here's three examples, here's three versions of a common exercise. You could do split squats, which are a good exercise, meaning like a lunge in place. Right. Or you could do a Bulgarian split squat, which is still fine, but it's a little less stable. Right, because you, you have now more of a balance component. Sure. And then you then you see people doing split squats with the rear foot in a stirrup, which is even less stable. So, you know, the the less stable an exercise is, the less you can load it, and then the less threatening it becomes. So, you look at the opposite of that, and so you think of what exercises are threatening, and that would include things like squats and military presses and deadlifts and bench presses and pull-ups and dips. And all those exercises have a couple of things in common. They involve several muscles all at the same time rather than just working one muscle at a time. They allow for the use of fairly heavy weights. Um, they are typically a bit scary to do, at least if you're using challenging weights. And because of all those points I just mentioned, uh, they're also relatively dangerous. So, relatively. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you, you, yeah, relatively. It doesn't mean they're dangerous, but you know, the safer an exercise is, the less effective it will be. Hmm. Uh, that's just an unfortunate reality that you have to navigate. Now, I've heard some of this um, 
offered up as a, as a reason to embrace something like a bro split before, before as you know, because you, you can't possibly inflict enough damage to make it worth it in, in full body training is what you hear in comments on pieces about full body training. But you're talking more about like, yeah, as a threat to the entire organism, not a threat to a specific muscle group. Correct. Correct. And so that's kind of the whole point. So then all those threatening exercises I just mentioned can conveniently be fit into four what I would call primary patterns. And there are other coaches like uh, Dr. John Russin who uses, I think he uses six patterns and that's cool. For the purposes of this program, I just use four and they're squat, push, hinge, and, and pull. And so now some people use like a lunge pattern. I just incorporate that into squats. Um, some people use a, a carry pattern, mm -hmm. but so I think if you look at how many exercises you can reasonably do in a workout, I include four, what I call primary movements and then two secondary movements. So in my system, each workout consists of one squat movement, one push movement, one hinge movement, and one push movement, and then two up to two, you don't have to do two, the, the uh, secondary movements in my kind of way of viewing things are, are optional as well as secondary. So that's where, I mean, if there's something you just love or need to do, such as you want bigger arms or bigger calves or, you know, whatever it might be, you want to do direct ab work, you can totally do that, mm -hmm. but only after you've done the main course, just to use an analogy. Okay. So, okay. so this makes your training kind of maximally effective and it makes sure that your, your workouts aren't too fluffy. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you understand what I mean. Or, yeah, or too redundant, definitely. Or redundant as well mm -hmm. is another great way to put it. Hmm. Yeah, and um, this is uh, lo looking at the first couple of days of Total Body Strong. Um, th th there's definitely a lot of volume in there. Like when you're doing a squat variation, which you leave open the possibility, you know, of swapping out squat variations for things that you have, equipment you have. Mm -hmm. You're doing four sets of 15. Like I don't care, I don't care who you are. Sets of 10, 12, 15. There, if you do four or five of them, that's that's a lot of work. I mean, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It, they're they're it's very serious. difficult. Yeah, they're difficult workouts, and um, that's why the secondary movements are optional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like I think it's a way to, it's a way to reduce stress. Like I always with my clients, uh, especially my online clients, I will typically have what I call compulsory and optional exercises, so that it's just a way to minimize stress. If you have a workout and, and you go to your program and it's like, crap, I got like eight things I have to do today. It just makes it kind of uh, 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 foreboding in a sense. But if you know you have four compulsories, then it kind of reduces the stress and you just think, all right, well, I'll just knock out the four and we'll see what happens. And typically, after you've done that, you're warmed up, things are going, you're quite likely to do the optionals as well. Um, but the point is, I just want to have the focus on things that have the most bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. And a, a little phrase that I use to kind of describe this kind of uh, methodology is that you want to train the most amount of muscles with the fewest number of exercises with the least amount of redundancy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's why you're not doing like that's why you're not doing barbell bench press and dumbbell incline press in the same session. They're both good exercises, but you have some redundancy going on. 
Right. And Charles, I was telling Nick kind of before we started this podcast that one of the things I really appreciate about this new program that you've designed is for once it's actually designed by someone who you can tell trains other people. And a lot of times we get these programs from athletes where their program is basically what they like to do. It's like, this is my split. This is my superset. This is how I load this. Yeah, is, yeah. And you're actually, you know, ha myself having been a trainer for over a decade and having seen other trainers in the way they work, you're actually creating a program that is designed the way that other trainers would create programs for their clients. So this is, in my mind, one of the unique programs that we have on the site where it, oh, really, it really can be, a, oh, you're welcome. It's it's a great program. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that's apparent and not to cut you off, but like a lot of people design like training concepts and programs just because it looks cool on paper. Oh, totally. Or it just has, it has like a, a unique kind of feel to it. And then they're like, oh, this is so cool. Here's the program, but no one's ever done it. And the difference, as you've pointed out, is this is the way I've been training myself and clients for years, and it never really occurred to me that there was anything all that unique about it, uh, but maybe there is. So, so and and kind of to build on that, what you said something interesting with the training that it has to be a threat to the body, and I'm not sure if this program includes a nutrition component, but it got me thinking that we do these kind of extreme diets, and do you feel that that, you know, to be able to maintain that kind of leanness and that muscle mass, that you also need to eat in a way that's a threat to your body, is if that makes sense? Well, so it's kind of the opposite. Like, for fat loss in particular, which kind of is what most people are looking at, mm -hmm. um, you have to be, your diet has to be non-threatening, so it's exactly the opposite. So, you want a slow uh, weight. You want a slow loss of, of body fat. And most nutrition authors that I respect the most will say between one half percent and one percent of total body weight per week. Now, if you are significantly fat, um, I guess that's politically incorrect, but it's at least you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I think the percentages could be a little bit higher um, because um, if you're carrying around 100 extra pounds of fat. It's not that threatening for your homeostatic mechanisms. If you lose five pounds in a week, it doesn't really add up to that much. But so you 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 have to sort of sneak in the back door, so to speak. You have to try to you have to try to do the diet in a sneaky way so your body doesn't think that you're starving. Mm -hmm. um, because if it does, then you have a loss of metabolism, and you know your body is trying to counter you every step of the way. So. So it's almost the opposite approach for fat loss, at least. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, to be clear to the listener, this does actually have a nutrition comp component. This program, but it has a has one of the simpler ones that um, that we've had, and it's one of my favorite ones in in our recent programs because it's it can really be summarized in about thirty words, which is eat a gram of protein per pound a day and about four to five meals. Eat most of your carbs around workouts. Take five grams of creatine and eat enough calories. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, I think you know there's other things that you could add in, but I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you want to be a clear thinker about anything in life, but especially in training, which is a confusing topic, you know, even for me, I've been doing this since like the 80s, and I still ha I have more questions today than I've ever had in the past. So this is a difficult, confusing, complex topic. It's important to be able to contextualize information. So when you talk about something like a fat loss diet, there are many, many, many factors that play or contribute to your potential success. So it's important to realize that not all of those many factors have equal contribution. So when, for example, when fat loss is the goal, your calories per day by far is the most important factor. And things like meal timing and food quality and meal frequency, yeah, they play a role, but it's much smaller. So I think it's important to zero in on the factors that, that really matter the most. Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah, and what, one other thing that uh, when you're talking about training people versus being, um, you know, just training yourself as an athlete, um, trainers and coaches can still be very attached to the program as written. Like this is this is scripture. You change it, and you're you know you're you're, yeah. you're being insolent in some way, or you're being blasphemous. <laughs> But this program kind of goes in the absolute opposite direction. Like, you want to do circuits, do circuits. You want to do straight sets, do straight sets. You want to swap out movements, do movements. So how, yeah, how, I mean, what's your history with that, that level of flexibility in programming as well? Well, I think flexibility is crucial. And one thing I personally love about this, uh, you know, you're calling it Total Body Strong for the article. But mm -hmm. what I love about this is that you could have a gym full of people who are all using this program verbatim and it would not be apparent from a casual glance that they're all doing the same program because your squat variation could be anything from a leg press to a goblet squat to uh, pistols to bulgarian split squats to uh, hip belt squats so uh you know there's so much variation involved in this that you could literally do you could do all of your favorite exercises uh given the equipment you have and your history and so forth and so it's very easy to adopt the principles of this program and still have a ton of flexibility. So um, you, now the only the, the main difference is you can't be on this program and do a workout that consists of like reverse curls and lateral raises and leg extensions and planks. Like that's not that's not, you know, that's when you know somebody's not, you know, doing an effective session. But what if I do my triceps press downs while I'm basically in a hip hinge position? That counts as a hip hinge <laughs> yeah. is my understanding, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> that's like, that's, that's like the that. whole Instagram workout. There is, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I just love to talk about this Instagram fueled kind of female workout thing where you're doing like nine different exercises at once with your back foot in the stirrup and the front foot like on a BOSU ball. And you're doing a combination like twisting, jumping, lunge, overhead press, curl, like all at the same time. And it just and synchronized with your workout partner. It's very important that you and everyone else are synchronized perfectly. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's just I just so uh, multitasking in the exercise world doesn't really work all that well. It rarely works in my experience. But yeah, again, your the program you're talking about, where everyone can kind of do their own thing with the equipment that they have. Again, that's exactly how one would train a client in a gym. You know, it's 5 p.m. and everyone's using the equipment. You've got to think on your feet. And Yesterday, here's what I love about this, and, and sorry to cut you off. No, you're fine. <laughs> uh, this is a central feature of my personality. I apologize. But, um, you know, yesterday I did a workout where I did uh, flat dumbbell bench presses with 85-pound dumbbells, and I was doing uh, dead, barbell deadlifts and weighted pull-ups. And what was the other thing? Oh, and I was doing uh, I was doing uh, uh, split squats. And then a couple hours later, I had an 82-year-old client, and she was doing box squats, uh, uh, seated rows, um, a, uh, an overhead, uh, an overhead, uh, you know, an overhead press with with very light dumbbells, and I forgot the other thing. But basically, her and I are doing exactly the same program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, when, love it. And you kind of touched on this earlier that there is a certain amount of stress when you see a, an exercise list that's, you know, 8 to 12 exercises long. I mean, that's a lot to get through. They talk about that, you know, that, that kind of yeah. psychological fear of tackling that much. And in my experience, when, when you start to simplify and do only a handful of exercises, you really get to do a correct and effective movement because you're not worrying about setting up or going to the next exercise. You're, you're really kind of focusing on that. And have you... Um, have you even tried with even even shorter workouts where it's maybe even just two or three exercises? And what's your experience with that? 
Well, I think I, I haven't. Now, needless to say, if I, I have had times where time is just tight, and uh, however, I would still do the four exercises. But let's say my time is really tight, my energy is, is sparse. Um, maybe I'm scheduled to do four sets of pull-ups, but maybe I just do one hard set of pull-ups, because you know the eighty-twenty principle applies to lifting. And if you do one hard set of an exercise, you're probably getting seventy-five percent of the benefit of doing three or four hard sets. So. Mm-hmm. I would rather just do one set and then at least keep that particular muscle, those muscle groups kind of at least on a holding pattern rather than regressing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I do that is um, uh, kind of related to your question is that uh, a lot of times I will will have one of those exercises uh, where you don't go quite as close to failure. Because let's face it, if you're doing, for example, I mean, potentially you could cook up uh, a total body strong workout where you're doing like barbell back squats, uh, deficit barbell deadlifts, weighted pull-ups, and military presses. I mean, that's very daunting. So, Mm -hmm. like, I think it's permissible sometimes that maybe on workout one, you go a little light on the hinge pattern. And then on workout two, you go a little light on the squat pattern. And then on workout three, you go a little bit light on the on the press pattern and so forth. Right. So I, I, think, yeah. I think that's important to emphasize as well. Somebody listening to this might think that this is purely a pattern-based workout, but there is a workout as written on the page as well, which has a lot of that variety in there, not only um, within the workout, but day-to-day, you, you use three different variations of squats each week, three different variations of pulls yeah, each week. Yeah, yeah. So... I think I made that clear in the article, but yeah, like if, if, if body composition and, and muscle mass is the primary goal, you do want to have a lot of variation. So if you're training three days a week, I would use three entirely different squat patterns, three entirely different push patterns and so forth. Uh, however, you could even use this program as a competitive power lifter. And if you were to do that, then probably you're going to have much more specificity. I mean, maybe you're going to squat two or even three days a week and so forth. Um, or, or your, you know, all of your, you know, all of your push uh, exercises would be related to the bench press, uh, more so than if you're just training for body composition. So yeah, it's kind of, I kind of really like the wide applicability of this, mm-hmm. uh, this kind of format. And, and, uh, four weeks through it though, I also noticed that, you know, most of the exercises, not all of them change. And that's something that I've seen you advocate elsewhere as well. It's like, yeah, every, every four weeks, maybe, swap most stuff out for a different variation of something of the same thing. Um, yeah. As opposed to say, all right, we're just going to squat every day for 12 weeks. We're going to do the same very deadlift variation five days a week for 12 weeks. What If my form is okay, what, what goes wrong with just doing the same thing forever? Well, you probably know. It's like if you, let's say you discover some, some new exercise, like you never, I don't know, you never did hip belt squats before. So you do them on Monday and it's like, holy crap, like I am so sore, like it's insane. Like I've never felt anything like this, but it's awesome. So then the next Monday you do the same thing and you get, you can add some weight and so you're able to progress and you get sore, but not as sore. And then the following Monday you do it again and you get a little less sore. And somewhere down the road, it might be four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Now you're not getting sore at all and you can't add any more weight. So that's called adaptive resistance. You just, your body has, fig- uh, on workout one, it was a huge threat to your system. But over the course of four or five or six workouts, your body has solved the problem. It has figured out how to cope with that stress and it's not responding anymore. So now 
your your risk of overuse injury is very high and for very low payoff. So that's when you change an exercise. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, one other thing that you you wrote a great article for us in the Ask the Ages Lifter column recently was about cardio, which you know the question always comes up: Well, what do I do for cardio on this? And all over our site, many other sites that you've written for, intensity is still sort of the the thing. Like, it's not cardio if you're not bleeding out of your eyes, basically. It's not threatening. That's <laughs> if, the one exactly. takeaway point is my workouts have to be threatening. Right. Threatening, <laughs> but threatening like there's a tiger in the room yeah. with you, sort of. Um, and, but I, only I mean, for but, 30 seconds at a time. But people talk about, about that like it's like it's basically free, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. high-intensity cardio. Not only is it the best for fat loss, it'll make your legs bigger, too. And it's just it, it doesn't count as, as a a strength training or something that you recover from? How, how do you modulate your intensity in that regard? Yeah, so I think I think it depends on the objective for the, the cardio. I mean, I think people tend to do things just because, quote, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, without, like, like stretching comes under that category for a lot of people. Like, well, you're just supposed to stretch. Like, well, I don't know. I just always want to have a reason for doing what I'm doing. So I think... I think the high-intensity cardio stuff is more applicable if your goals revolve around athletic performance. Um, so, you know, if, if you're a CrossFit athlete or you're a competitive distance athlete or something like that, or you just particularly find it fun to try to set 500-meter uh, records on the Concept 2 rower, like, that's all, that's all legit. I, I mean, I think having fun is the most underrated, underappreciated aspect of training. Like you should find things that you find fun, even if they're not rational, like it's important to have fun. But I think for fat loss, you want to choose modes of cardio that are just, that they they don't kind of compete for the same resources that lifting uh, needs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really like things like walking, believe it or not. I never thought I would, 20 years ago, I never thought I would say this, but I just think, I think it's the most efficient and least catabolic form of cardio. And you can multitask doing that. So I always take a walk every morning and I'll listen to a podcast on my phone and you know, walk to Starbucks or something. And I, I just think that uh, you, know, you don't wanna be in flight or fight mode all the time. And mm-hmm. I, I think, so I, my people mostly lift or walk. Mm-hmm. And, right. and or walk, right? I, know, well, I like that. I like that, that, that idea of competing for the same resources. You have, you have a finite amount of recovery, finite amount of resources. One, that makes sense to me. Go ahead. Um, one thing I've noticed, Charles, in a lot of your articles is it's very much about the injury prevention. So when we talked about that adaptive resistance, you say all of a sudden once your body adapts, you now kind of open yourself up to that risk of overuse. And I think when we yeah. look at some of these more popular programs that you see out there, like the CrossFit and like the um, competitive bodybuilding, because they are so repetitive and because you are competing for the same resources, that's when you start to see a high, a higher instance of injury. And so it sounds like that that risk of injury is very much in the forefront of kind of planning all of these different factors, your cardio, your nutrition, your your resistance training, and um, that kind of using the cues from your body is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if that's what I'm hearing you say is that it's a very intuitive kind of program where as soon as you feel like you've adapted, then it's time to move on to something new. Yeah, I guess I guess when you get old, um, you start thinking about injuries a lot more. And <laughs> I mean, I've been, like I'd love to I'd love to say that I'm so injury uh, so devoid of injuries because I'm just a smart guy and I have great habits. But I'm sure luck plays some role in that mm-hmm. uh, for sure. But yeah, I just think you know I always say like if you show up healthy, anything is possible. But if you show up hurt, nothing is possible. Mm-hmm. So I just think 
Like that's got to be the first mode of thinking. And if you are doing an exercise for too long a period of time, and especially if it's one of these high threat exercises, um, you start getting frustrated that you can't add weight to the bar and you're kind of stressing your joints and muscles and connective tissues on the same lines of force week after week after week after week. And, you know, a lot of like connective tissue and bone does not really have much in the way of nerve supply. So you can be doing damage to yourself without really knowing it. And you see people all the time like who like tear a peck like right off the bone just out of nowhere. And those injuries are not out of nowhere. There's mm-hmm. a cum- cumulative damage going on and you just don't you don't really have a symptom until it's too late. So I think variation I was listening to my friend Brett Contreras on the podcast the other day, and he goes, the more I do this stuff, the more the more I'm a fan of variation. And I'm kind of that way, too. Um, I just think that it keeps it keeps your body, you know, this is like muscle confusion, although mm-hmm. not in the P90X way of, 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 of talking about it. But it's just, yeah, you've got to you've got to keep threatening your body with new stimuli. And once you've done a certain movement for so long, um, you know. Your body kind of gets gets it figured out. Well, I mean, it, it yeah, even even though you have a background in you know powerlifting and and strength training or strength coach, I, what I hear from there is the same thing I've heard from some of the elite bodybuilders that we've talked to as well. Sometimes those guys are totally right in some things. In ter- yeah, they vary their training and they walk. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of get it, yeah. maybe because you know yeah. many of them are two yeah. hundred and sixty pounds, and they don't yeah, want, they don't want to do a fucking Wingate test three times a week. You know, I was just going <laughs> to say, and you know, by the way, just as a little bit of an aside, um, from a pure muscle from, on, on an acute basis, like if you're looking at just one workout, maximum variety would be like preferable. The, the problem with too much variation is is that it's difficult to instill progressive overload. Mm-hmm. So, for right. example, if every single workout you do different exercises, you're still getting great stimulus. But the problem is there are two necessary preconditions to success in lifting. And one is you have to work hard. And two is, and this is the one that most people kind of neglect, you have to continuously work harder. And so the problem is if you are always doing different exercises, you don't get the chance to make an apples to apples comparison. And so you don't know if you are truly progressively overloading or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and go ahead. No, no, no. And I was going to say, you could just go by feel like, okay, well, today kind of feels like a harder workout than last time, but that's not too reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, this program does have periodization built into it. I think we should be clear. There's basically two distinct phases. One that's, I guess you could say more hypertrophy and volume. The second half is more strength focus, or at least down in more traditional strength rep ranges. Um, but each week, yeah, the rep, the rep ranges change for each movement. And there's definitely a periodized component in there. It's not just a, a free fall. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, primary pattern programming or total body strong for, for the purposes of this article, this is not a periodization strategy. This is a tactic or a philosophy of how to populate workouts with exercises. It's an exercise selection strategy primarily. So what that means is, if you happen to like, for example, daily undulating periodization or DUP, you can totally integrate that with this style of of training with no problems at all. Hmm. Perfect. 
Yeah, no, it, it, it feels like we're kind of doing this thing where we're expanding and contracting with, where, you know, it's it seems very simple on the surface. And then you realize that there's so many variations, but you also realize that it is quite simple once you just understand the, the basic overarching concepts. And you can kind of fit, to your point that you just made, you can fit different exercises and different modalities in that you prefer as long as you kind of understand the basics of what this program is about. Well, I'm glad to hear people that appreciate this. <laughs> I, yeah, but it is uh, so simple. When you go to the gym, what am I going to do? I'm going to do a squat, a push, a hinge, and a pull. Mm-hmm. Could not be simpler. And then if time and energy allow, maybe I'll do some curls or some ab work or some calf work, or maybe I'll... I'll do a farmer's carry or push the sled or get on the assault bike or whatever you want to do. That's cool. But, you know, that's kind of it's kind of that simple. Yep, mm-hmm. Charles, I'm fast becoming your biggest fan right now. I love it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Checks, checks in the mail. <laughs> so um, now if somebody follows it, the program as written, it, there's basically, yeah, there's a size phase, then a strength phase, basically. What do you recommend after that? Um, basically, can, can somebody just alternate? Phases yeah. like that over yeah, and over again sure endlessly. Can. You sure can, and 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 those phases don't need to be at a one to one ratio. So, for example, I'm I'm kind of people remark how strong I am, but really what they mean is, wow, you don't look like you could lift weights like that. Right. <laughs> In other words, I'm really skinny. Okay, I'm skinny. <laughs> so, like for me, I do more hypertrophy work because that's where I'm weak. I'm already pretty strong, so I work more on muscle mass. And I'm 58 years old, so probably that work is not gaining me any muscle, but probably what it's doing is it's probably preventing the loss of muscle. So mm-hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, but but if you are if you are pretty conspicuously muscular, but you're not as strong as your physique would make it look, then I'd probably spend relatively more time in strength phases. Mm-hmm. It's just saying and like that, it's better to look sm- or to be smarter than you look than to look smarter than you are. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go with. But so. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll just add that you also have a really great um, uh, recollection article on our site that uh, is called How I Got in the Best Shape of My Life at Age 55, I believe is what it's called, mm-hmm. where you, yeah, ta- you talk about sort of falling in love with, uh, with you know, hard sets of 10 and hypertrophy style training relatively late in, in your Too training late. career. Too late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my biggest. If I have a regret. I mean, I'm totally happy. Like, I'm six foot one, about 195 pounds. I'm fine. I look fit. But would I like to be maybe 242 at 10% body fat? I freaking would love that. But it's not in the cards for me right now because through most of my training history, I did low volume, high intensity training. And maybe I did a set of 10 here or there, but I never did a set of 10 and then another set of 10 and then another set of 10. I just never did that kind of work. And that's kind of what's necessary to add muscle. Um, along with along with you know the diet that supports it. So um, so if you're out there listening to this and you're young and you want to gain muscle, or, or even if you're not sure, like you got to do that stuff while you're young. So volume is the key. Right. But at the same time, you mentioned that you have this style of programming working for women in their 50s who want to do pull-ups as well. So it's not not just that person. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, the program is Total Body Strong. Uh, it's an eight-week full-body training program on bodybuilding.com all access. Charles Staley, thanks for coming on and talking with us. It's a really cool, really cool project. Guys, thanks so much. Always fun to talk shop. 